Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. We're glad you're here again this morning to, to join us as we celebrate a, a new adventure, but also I want us to be in prayer. Um, David Tripp, a pastor in our church, and his uh, some others have gone with him, and they are having their first service today, uh, January 31st in Pearland, and I just want to pray for them, so if you'd join me. Father God, we thank you for David and One Living Church and all those who who have partnered in that endeavor to reach and, and bring more into the kingdom of God. We pray your blessings on them, their, your encouragement, your strength that they need, that they may go forth and truly be a shining light in that community and beyond. We lift them up now to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, just as David and, and his church are stepping out in faith, so are we. Uh, welcome to daring faith. Uh, we're doing this through resources provided by Rick Warren and Saddleback Church. And uh, here's something I, I think you need to be aware of. Everything God does in our lives, everything of eternal or great significance, he does by grace through faith. And so we have to dare to live by faith if we're going to experience that. The Bible says this in lots of ways. Hebrews 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Romans 14, anything that is not based on faith is sin. And Jesus himself said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? In other words, we get to choose. If we get to work with God to, and, and allow him to work in us and through us to bless us and others. Uh, the more we live by faith, the more he works in and through us. And, and that's where his blessings lie, not in just waiting for stuff to happen, but being, being used by him for the sake of the kingdom of God, to be a, a, an instrument of his in, in the world around us, where his blessings always work according to his will, his timing, his way. So there are a couple of reasons we're doing this Daring Faith campaign. One of them very simply is for us to grow spiritually to gain spiritual maturity, to move toward whom God created us to be, not to simply be content with where we are. Because it's, you know, you look at a child and if a child stops growing, you start asking yourself the question, is, is, is there something here that we need to get checked out? Because growth is the normal order of things. And it's true of our spiritual journeys. We're gonna be spending the next six weeks stretching our faith and that's how it grows, it's being stretched. All of us start out as spiritual babes as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, but God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants by faith for us to grow and grow stronger. Think about it, a muscle doesn't get strong by sitting there. If, if you never exercise that muscle, it in fact atrophies, it loses its strength. It becomes less capable. It is only as you work it that it grows and strengthens and develops that it is able to do more than what it would have otherwise done. And this journey that we're on requires you and me to do some work. We don't just grow spiritually because we think it's a great idea and so I'm gonna sit back and let it just happen to me. We have to work at it. And it's not dependent on a preacher. I can't do it for you. I can't help you, you yourself, grow your faith. I can point to things to do. But if you're dependent on me, 
You're dependent. And that's not how any of us grow. And so we wanna help you put some weight on your spiritual muscle to be challenged. The Bible says in James 1, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I want you to be ready for anything in this journey, to, be, to grow to be strong in faith and character. And that only comes as you and I develop our spiritual muscles, our faith muscles. We help them grow. And then the second thing is we want to grow, we want to grow strength in our relational unity, about coming together on a, on a journey together. This is something we're doing as a church family together. Acts, in, in Acts 4, it says all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. There was no need, no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. As we grow, not, not just so that we can say we're more mature, because that starts to sound a little bit self-serving, but so we can live and share the love of Christ, so that he becomes, we become more and more like him. It becomes something that more and more flows out of us because it's more and more a part of us, and, and therefore we can make a bigger difference in living the purpose that God created you and me for. As we invest our, invest our time, our talent, our treasure to grow, as we do this together, we grow closer. It's a, it's a, a, a journey together to strengthen our unity as God's church. So with this in mind, here's, here's what you can expect these next six weeks. Expect to see some miracles. And I'm serious. When people trust God more, when people take risks for the work of the kingdom, when people dream great dreams, God does amazing things. I want to tell you, God is not impressed with our complaining, with our moaning, our groaning, our pity me, with our griping, our criticizing, all the things that we don't like about our lives or the lives of those around us. But God does work in and through faith our intentional desire to draw closer to him. All through scripture we see God moving when a son or a daughter or God trusts him. And, and amazing, even miraculous things happen. And, and I don't know what that's gonna be for you or even for us as a church, but I know that's gonna happen. I know we're gonna see some things. I know we're gonna see relationships get healed. We're gonna see ministries grow and expand. We're gonna see lives that are saved for eternity. There are gonna be some people that go through this adventure with us who have never made a commitment to Christ, who are going to experience faith in such a way that they say yes to Jesus Christ. Some of them will be in and through the church itself, but some of them will be meeting in your homes who may have never stepped foot in a church before, but because of what Christ is doing in them, they choose to do that. Some will experience physical healing, and, and people are going to enjoy God's grace and life in incredible ways over these next several weeks. Second, expect to grow spiritually. You know, expect to grow, but not, not just because you come to worship once a week but because you're gonna spend time with some others, some new friends or some old friends, exploring your faith, because you're gonna spend some time each day working through God's word. Today is the day one. And anybody know what day one is, the scripture? 
All right. We're already a little behind, but that's okay. It's Philippians 4, 12 and 13, which ends, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I mean, that's, that's something to claim today. That's something to hold on to. And as you read it and you read the thoughts of others who have worked on this, it will challenge you, but it will also keep it fresh in your heart. Out of sight, out of mind, right? We get busy, but if every morning you're going into God's word to read, over these next several weeks, God will do some incredible things with, with you in the midst of that as we spend time with him. Third, expect to be distracted by Satan. Okay? Why? Because Satan doesn't want you and me to grow spiritually. He doesn't want us to move toward God. He doesn't want us to become more and more like Jesus. He doesn't want us to listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the last thing he wants. And so what is he gonna do? He's not gonna come in and probably possess you. If you're a believer, he can't. But he's gonna distract you. He's gonna tell you lies. There are gonna be some challenges that come up over the next few weeks to keep you from growing. Because it is the last thing he wants to do. And so you may get sick, you may have a car breakdown, you may run into problems at work, you may have relationship struggles, all these things to to move us away because he wants you distracted. He wants you to say, I don't really have time for this. You know, some other time of the year would be great, but I just don't have time right now, or I've got a lot of stuff on my plate. And, or, or we kind of run into a hard, uh, a hard place with our finances and, and I just don't know how we're gonna get through it. Those are precisely the things he wants you to say. Those are the precisely the things he wants you to grab onto to distract you from the best things to keep you from doing what he wants, to keep you doing from what God wants you to do. Satan loves to create conflict and confusion. Those are great tools of his. And so here, I want you to think about this a little bit differently. As as some trials come up in your life over these next few weeks, as some things happen that that are unexpected or that aren't necessarily good, I want you to see them not as defeats, not as problems, but in fact, evidence that something is going on in your life that God is trying to do, and the enemy wants to derail that. See them differently. Choose how you're going to move forward and decide, Satan, you don't have a say in how I'm gonna live my life. And for these next six weeks, you can throw any distraction at me, and I choose, by the grace of God, even if it's hard at times, to stay on this track. You gotta know that that's gonna happen. And fourth, expect to experience some joy. As you and others here at Gateway learn to trust God more, trust him deeper, you're gonna experience the joy of the Lord. You're gonna experience his peace which passes all understanding because you're operating in the center of his will and no matter what Satan throws at you. I mean, that's the thing. God doesn't ever say, if you trust me, I'm gonna take all your problems away. That's the lie of Satan. What he says is, I'll give you peace in the midst of those problems. I'll see you through those struggles. I'll love you in spite of the things that go wrong. That's what he wants to do for you and me. And and as you and I trust God, as we follow Christ, God is gonna smile. And believe it or not, so will you. And so as as we've been telling you, the way to experience this, to get most out of this is to do three things. 
And these are all important. First, be in a daring faith small group. Hundreds of you already are. We've got 76 groups of, of which almost 50 of them are open groups. Some of them are closed. They're like, listen to ladies, they're doing it at their school. And so they're just doing it with people at their school or it's a life group that's an ongoing group. Um, but, but then there are other groups that are still open. Or, or there may not be a group in your area and you feel led, I wanna make it 77 groups or I wanna make it 83 groups. And you start one. And you can, you can sign up today. You can go on your phone and go to our webpage, gateway-community.org on the Find It, and there's a place to sign up. Or you can talk to some folks right outside these doors right afterwards and say, I, I, I've got a, I, I can't come into town all the way out here or something, or I can't get there, but I want to do this with some of my folks at work, or I want to do this with some friends where I live, or I want to do it with some of my family. And we'll provide you the DVD, no charge, and you're set to go. So be in a Daring Faith small group. And, and if you haven't signed up, sign up today. This is the, the, the beginning today. The first groups start meeting today and they'll be meeting all through this week so you're not too late. Second, I wanna encourage you to listen to all six Sunday messages e- e- each week. Now here's the thing. I'm not telling you this because I think like I'm somehow a great preacher. Because honestly, I don't even know why I'm up here sometimes. I mean, you know, in, in, spite of, in spite of all that, God, God is at work. But here's what I do know, is that every Sunday when we gather, it's not about Randy or whomever's standing up here. It's about God. And, and when any of us try to submit ourselves to, to, to God, the Holy Spirit works, and he speaks in and through us to you in ways that you may not hear. And so that I, I, I hear after Sunday somebody say, how did you know what was going on in my life? That was just what I needed to hear. You know what? I mean, I'm a nice guy, but honestly, I don't know that much. But God does. God knows exactly what's going on in your life, and he can, he can use even me to speak into you if you give him that chance. If for some reason you can't be here, our Facebook page on the, on the Mondays, we will have the service there, and you can go and watch it. But I want to encourage you, because I believe the Spirit is going to work through this, this time and these times together. And then finally, to read the daily inspirations in this journal. They're short, they're one page. One page and a place to just write some thoughts. And it's something that every one of us can do, three minutes a day maybe, five minutes a day. Or you may even reflect on it and find that 30 minutes later you're still thinking about what God is saying to you. And that's perfect, that's beautiful, whatever it is. And we mentioned before, it, it, $10, if this is a strain, some of you have given us, extra, you've paid extra for yours, and you said, help those who can't. And so I want to tell you, finances can, should not be a reason. Nobody has to know. You just walk up and you say, you know, you give them what you got. If it's 50 cents, if it's a quarter, if it's $4, no sweat. We will take it gratefully, and you'll walk out with this. And that's the thing. We want you to have God's, the materials here to use. You do these things. I know you're gonna experience some miracles. You're gonna grow spiritually. You're gonna experience some joy in ways that you don't, even, you don't even know yet. And that's the cool part about it. That's so cool. And we're gonna look at that this morning because we're gonna look this morning and talk about getting ready for a miracle. And, and again, this isn't my idea because we're gonna look at one of the most famous miracles found throughout the Bible that Jesus performed where he, you know the story, many of you know the story, he fed 5,000 by taking a little boy's lunch and turning a lot into a little. And there's some incredible principles here that you and I need to recognize to know how to trust 
God. Why? Because you and I can't always foresee how God is going to work. And that's the beauty of this. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get the, the I'm guaranteed to get the, the miracle I want. Like, God, I have this particular miracle, and this is what, if you do this, I, I know. Now, God may say, heck with that. You're asking too little. You're asking for something for maybe just today. His miracles are for eternity. And, and he, he can work through us to bring the results, not that I want, but that he wants. I mean, parents, we know that sometimes our kids say, give me this, or I want that, and we know that they really think it's what they want, but if you gave it to them, it might satisfy them for a moment, but there's some other things you know that if you gave it to them, it would bless them for a long time. And that's, those are the kinds of things that God wants to give to you and to me to bless us for the long haul. And that's part of what it means to have daring faith, to believe that God, who, who created us, each one of us, who sent his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, who gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit to come and live in us when we trust him, he knows what is best. He has a plan for your life and mine. He knows what will get you through what you're in the middle of right now. Does it mean he's gonna get you out of it? He's gonna take away all the pain? Maybe not. Maybe not. But maybe it's because he has something even better by taking you through the pain to get you where you need to be. God can take a little in our life and turn it into a lot. But we need to realize that Jesus never did miracles to show off. Hey, look at me, guys. I can turn water into wine. Isn't that cool? No. He did them to teach, to reveal a spiritual truth, to reveal more about the kingdom of God. And one of the things Jesus shows us here is how to prepare for miracles in our lives where God turns a little into a lot. And so this, this miracle we're looking at this morning is so important that it is, in fact, the only miracle that shows up in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of them appear in only one or two or three. This is the only one that shows up in all four. In it, we find Jesus has just crossed the Sea of Galilee. And he's kind of gone to a desolate area on this, this, ocean, this large lake. It's about seven miles north to south, about three miles across he gets out, and there's a large crowd that's kind of been following him on the bank, seeing where he's going, and, and they follow him, and, and the scripture tells us it's about 5,000 people. Now, just imagine speaking to 5,000 people with no PA, no screens, all that kind of stuff. It, it's, it's, it's amazing, but they're there, they're coming, and, and he teaches them all day, and at the end of the day, the people are hungry and, and they're a long way from home and they don't have much or any food. The disciples recognize this and, and so they kind of pull Jesus aside maybe at a little potty break or something like that and they tell him, it's getting late, Jesus, and, 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 and we're getting hungry and they're getting hungry so shouldn't you, shouldn't you just send them on their way? But look what Jesus does. He throws it back in their face. He, says, he tells them, you feed them. He puts it back on them. And, and, of course, the disciples kind of start back. But what, what, uh, what, you want 5,000? How in the world? I mean, it's, it's like one of the craziest things they've ever heard from one of the craziest people they've ever met. And, and they see no way. 
But Jesus shows us three steps to preparing for a miracle. The first one is to admit that I have an unsolvable problem. Now, let me be blunt. Not every problem you have is unsolvable. In fact, some of your problems you could solve if you just worked at it a little bit. I mean, you don't need a miracle to fix everything in your life. And if it's solvable, you and I need to go ahead and do it. God calls us to use the gifts we have, the abilities we have. Maybe it's managing your money or, or your weight or your time better. And, and you can do those with God's help, but it's not something that necessarily maybe requires a miracle, at, at least for most of us. The first step in preparing for a miracle is admitting that there's something going on here that I don't see how to solve. In Mark 6, it begins verse 34, it says, when Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Man, that would take eight months of a man's wages. And right here, we already see kind of like three typical responses that you and I put out there when we face an unsolvable problem. The first is we procrastinate. You know, when a problem seems big, we don't know how to deal with it, we just put it off. We, we, we hem, we haw, we delay, we, we, we think it's just gonna go away if we just duck and cover and act like everything's okay. I mean, here the disciples are, verse 35, by this time it says it was getting late. They, were, they had seen this was coming. They knew that people didn't have a lot of stuff with them. They were procrastinating, and, and yet they didn't do any preparation. And procrastination always makes problems worse, both biblically and in our lives. I mean, if, if you're diagnosed with a cancer, you don't say, well, you know what? I'm just gonna wait six weeks. No, I'm gonna get an appointment with my doctor tomorrow. I'm gonna do this immediately. Procrastination has never solved the problem. It's only made it worse. And the question is, what problem maybe are you facing right now that you're procrastinating over? If you don't see an answer, is it in your marriage? Is it in your workplace? Is it with your body? Is it with your finances? Second, we blame others. We pass the buck. It's not, it's not really my problem, it's, it's his problem. It, it's her issue, it's their fault. Remember, uh, Rick Warren says this and, I, and it, it stuck with me. How do you spell blame? Be lame. Be lame. Every time we blame, we are being lame. Verse 36, the disciples tell Jesus, send them away. They didn't, they didn't invite them there. They didn't promise them any food. So send them away, out of sight, out of mind. It's their fault. And finally, number three, we worry. We stew. We get anxious. We fret. We, we, we chew on our nails. You know, all those things. I mean, they, they said, Jesus, man, it would take a, a, a person's eight months' worth of wages to, to feed all these Folks, who's got that kind of money? You know, it's not like they could pull out a MasterCard and go, go right down the street to McDonald's. Imagine trying for them to try to figure out how to feed all these folks, 
trying to figure out all the money, all the logistics, all the cleanup, all the worry. But what Jesus says to him in verse 37 is, you give them something to eat. He puts it back on them. And I'm sure they're going into hysterics. You gotta be kidding me. We didn't invite him over here. You know, there's a, we're, we're procrastinating, we're blaming, we're worrying. What's the problem? They're standing next to Jesus, the Son of God, who spoke the universe into being. And he tells them to feed the crowd. I mean, it's just overwhelming. It seems impossible. But have you ever felt like God has asked you to do something impossible? To trust him in some area of your life, to step out in some way, to believe someone to give something, to do something. And we say, well, it's a good idea, God, but I don't have time right now. Or you're, you're, you're talking to the wrong person, man. There's no way I could do that. I don't have the energy. I don't have the, the education. I didn't go to school for that. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong gal. I mean, God said that to Moses. He, here he was, 80 years old. He, he'd grown up in a good family, but for the last 40 years, he'd been an outcast. And when God says, I want to use you, he's, he's kind of looking around on that mountain trying to find something or somebody else. The last thing he wants. But as he surrendered to God and just took the next step, look what God did. He used him to lead his people to safety and so much more. God tells us there are times when he wants you and me to do the impossible. Why? Because it stretches our faith. It always points back to him. We know who's responsible. It's not me. If, you know, if, if, if God is calling me to do something I can do, and I can do it in my own strength, whether or not I, I, I trust him or not, if I'm, if I'm doing that and you, somebody doesn't know much about me or much about God, you're going to think, man, he's a sharp dude. Look what he did. But if God calls me to do something that is beyond me, that's impossible, that's unsolvable, and, and by faith I just take the next step of whatever he's calling me to do, and somewhere down the road it all works out in ways I can't even imagine, people are going to look at me and they're going to say, dude, you didn't do that. I know you, you know, what was it? You're not James, you're not, you're not JFK or whatever it was. Different debate, never mind. But you know what I'm saying. When you see something that you know somebody couldn't do, then you start paying attention. How did that happen? Who was at work there? And suddenly, the, the picture no longer is pointing back at me. It's pointing to God. God is the one who did it. See, it's never about humans getting the glory. It's always about pointing the glory back to God. And if it's something I can do, then people sometimes look, look at you. But when it's something everybody knows is far beyond their ability, say, man, look at God. And that's the coolest thing. So once I admit the problem is unsolvable, the next thing I need to do is give God what I already have. Jesus tells his disciples to figure out what they, what they already have available to them. What, what is it that they've got? Take an inventory. In Mark 6, verse 38, he, he asks, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five, 
and two fish. Now the Gospel of John, in chapter six, Gospel of John tells us that they discovered actually that they didn't have even the five loaves and two fish, a little boy did. Out of the 5,000 people there, only one came up and said, I've got something here. Do you think somebody else had some food? I bet they did. I bet some of those people were saying, oh, don't, don't ask me. I don't have enough, you know, I got enough for me, but uh, you want me to share? You've got to be crazy. No, I'm keeping what I got. Here's this little boy. And to me, it's even more remarkable because, because a lot of times with children, you know, have, you ever, have, have your kids ever said, I'm starving. If I don't eat, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. It's only been three hours or two hours or maybe 45 minutes since their last meal. I mean, they don't even have a concept. Most of our kids don't have any concept of that. So when a kid who's probably not very well off takes what little he had and offers it, it's an incredible miracle in and of itself. And the thing is, God works that way. I mean, remember 2,000 years earlier when there were a 1,000 times more people gathered in the wilderness, and they said, we're hungry. God rained down manna to feed them and quail and water from a rock. And so, you know, feeding a million people is no big deal to God. Now we're only talking about 5,000, which still sounds like a lot to us. But if he could feed a million, he can certainly feed 5,000. But the principle at work here is that God always starts with what we have when he wants to work in and through us. It may not be much. It may, in fact, seem ridiculous. But when I offer it to him, he uses it. And I may look at others and I think, you got more. Or why aren't you doing your part? Or why aren't you offering what you have? I may think, I don't have much time, or I don't have much money, or I don't have much talent or treasure, but, but I'll give whatever I have. My heart, my soul, my past, my present, my future, my five loaves and two fish. And God works John gives us another piece of information that the other gospels don't. In John 6, 6, it says Jesus asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already had it all figured out. I mean, he, he's God. He's, he, there's no surprises to God. He's not worried. When God asked you to do the impossible, he's not sweating it. He's not saying, I wonder how I'm going to help her get through this. I wonder, is there some way? He is the God of the past, present, and future. He's already got it figured out. He's already got a plan. He can do all things. It's never too late in the day for God. So why are we worrying when he asks us to do something? Just give God what we already have. The little boy does that. He offers what he has, which is, I mean, it's a pittance. It's meaningless. It's insignificant compared to what the, the crowd there. But it tells us in verse 41 Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. Now, I use the, the New American Standard translation there for one reason, is because it says he kept giving them. In other words, there is a sense here in that this was not like he gave them, and suddenly there was a mountain of bread sitting there, and a mountain of fish. 
No, it was a process. And, and the disciples, all of a sudden there's a little bit there and they're going and handing it out, but they say, well, it still isn't enough, but they come back and he's still giving them more. And they go and they hand out and they come back and he's still giving them more. It keeps going and going. God keeps continuing to do it as they walked in faith, as they trusted him. If they had stopped, the miracle would have stopped. But they kept going. No matter how little it is, God will use it if we trust him. But we gotta take the step. We gotta say, God, I don't have much. I'm I'm a one-talent guy, and and that's only on my best days. The other days, it's about three-quarters or even two-thirds. He says, you just offer what you have and let me multiply. It is never too late in the day for Jesus. There's no reason to worry to just give him what we have because he will keep going and going until he accomplishes his result. And he won't necessarily give us all we need at first. Like, you know, Betsy said earlier about people who like the control freaks. That we, want, we want to see it all now. Okay, I wanted my plan. I got, I got enough here, 5,000, yeah, it's all here. No. It only occurred as they walked with him, as they trusted him. And third then, we gotta expect God then to multiply it. Here's what happens, verse 42. Everyone ate and had enough. Then the disciples took up 12 baskets full of what was left of the bread and the fish. I mean, Jesus doesn't just feed them. Here's a bite for you, here's a bite for you. That'll hold you over. He gives them so much that it says everyone had enough. And they're even leftovers. And I imagine in that day and time, there were a lot of those people that went to bed at night and they didn't always go to bed with enough. But when Jesus fed them, they had enough. God loves to multiply his blessings when people walk in faith with him. You know, when I felt called to ministry, um, I, I, I worked in engineering field and I felt I was called to give that up a full-time salary and go to seminary. And the seminary was essentially a four-year master's level program at a, state uni- at a university here in this state. And, and the best I could do job-wise was get a part-time job in a church because I was going to school full-time. And I hadn't saved up a lot of money, but I, was, I had made a decision I was gonna trust God with what I had and I, and I was gonna tithe it. And so I, I didn't have a plan. I, I didn't step in the, the first day and say, okay, I got enough money saved up or figured out how I'm gonna get through these next four years. And then, lo and behold, I start on the journey and I meet my wife, Susan, and, and she's gonna go to seminary too. We get married after the end of the first year, and so now it's both of us going to seminary. And we, we started on that journey. And I, I, I did not have answers. I just, I said, God, if you're calling me into this, I'm just gonna follow. I'm gonna trust you where you take me. And here's the thing. At the end of four years, we, we gotten, I'd gotten a few scholarships. I'd gotten some grants. I'd gotten some, a couple of people help us along the way. And, and I, I wasn't planning it. I wasn't thinking it all through. But at the end of the four years, I came, I graduated, we graduated from seminary with no debt. And in fact, God was so gracious that, that he knew I liked, I was gonna like Macintosh computers, he allowed me to even have some money to buy a, a Mac SC. The very first one, there you go. 
I mean, to tell you, I was in tall cotton. It, it, had, it had eight megabytes of RAM <laughs> and 20 megabytes of storage. I know some of you are jealous. What in the world, Randy, could you ever do with all that storage? And that beautiful 11-inch black and white screen. Oh, my goodness. See, I, I, that wasn't a part of my plan. I didn't see that coming. I just, I just walked, and I got through to the end, and I got that, and I got my wife, which was the best part of the deal. And, I mean, I graduated with, with no debt. God loves to do miracles through people, particularly ordinary people. If We just trust him. Rick Warren said this, and it's a great quote. He said, what we wait for God to do for us, God is waiting to do through us. And I love that because a lot of times we think these miracles are all about me and what am I, he's gonna help me. He got me through all of that with no debt, not, not because it was great for me not to have debt, but so that I hadn't, didn't have to be distracted with debt as I served him. The reality is the best, most amazing miracles God is going to do are not gonna be in you, but what he will do through you for the sake of his kingdom with other people. We, we often think, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. No, God needs to do a miracle through you. And that's the cool part about walking with him. God's not gonna give you a miracle to satisfy a selfish need or a desire of your own, but he, but he very well might to advance the gospel and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And in these next six weeks of, of daring faith, I, I believe God wants to turn on a miracle machine because he wants us to live by faith. He wants us to trust him more. He wants us to walk in faith. He wants us to take some uncomfortable steps. He wants to step out, some of us to step out of comfort zones that we have held at arm's length for a long time. But please understand, he doesn't simply want to do a miracle for you. He wants to do miracles through you. That little boy was the most unlikely hero. If you would have walked up that morning and said, God's gonna do a miracle today, pick out who do you think he's gonna use? You would not have chosen a little boy. You would have chosen somebody fine and upstanding or even one of the disciples. God chose a little boy. And I guarantee you, when you and I trust him and offer what we have, even if it seems like it's nothing, even if it seems like somebody else has so much more, when you offer what you have, that's when God can go to work. And that's what Jesus takes it and breaks it and blesses it and multiplies it further than you can even think or imagine. That's what God wants to do in our lives, in your life. And this is such a great miracle story for us today because our world, our communities, our schools, our neighborhoods, our families are, are spiritually hungry. People are, are starving for spiritual truth and they're chasing it everywhere. They're chasing after all kinds of things that promise them fulfillment. But God has said to Gateway, Hey, you feed them. You feed them. He, he didn't pull me aside and stand me over here and say, just you, and let them stand behind you. 
He's saying to each one of us, you feed them. He's asking each one of us to do the impossible, to step out beyond where we've been. And because of your faith and the faith of many of those around you, of, of many who have what seems like nothing more than a little lunch, God has done amazing things here through this church and through you already. Thousands have been baptized through this church. Thousands have been freed from hurts, habits, and hangups who have experienced freedom and hope and peace. Many of you have stepped out in faith and trusted God to do the impossible. But there are a lot of us in this room who have held back, who have said, yeah, but I don't have what they have. I'm not as smart. Or I didn't grow up in the church. Or I don't have as much to give. Remember what Satan wants to do? He wants to distract you. He wants you to, to buy into things that aren't true. But if you decide to trust God and put it into God's hands, Jesus says, all things are possible with God. All things. All. I mean, if God can raise a person from the dead, is there anything too hard for our God? He can raise a dead marriage. He can, he can raise a dead career. He can raise dead finances. He can raise a dead body. He can do anything. And, and, and his resurrection at Jesus at, at, at Easter is the proof of that. Over and over through in the, in the Old Testament, there's a question that gets asked sometimes, is anything too hard for the Lord? And story after story, chapter after chapter, book after book, keeps saying no. Even when we find ourselves in dire straits, even when we find ourselves in a difficult or a challenging place, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. And Jesus proves it by sending his son to die for us, to take our sins. If he can take our sins, man, and the thing is he wants to do that for the entire world. Don't think he did it just for you. He did it for you so he can do it through you with others, with many others. And he wants us to do that for the entire world. Jesus' sacrifice made it possible for everybody to be saved, even those who think it is impossible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. He is still doing miracles today. You and I just have to trust him, admit there are things we can't solve, but offering what we have and let him multiply the results. If you've got questions about that, our prayer team will be down here in just a moment, and they would love to talk to you about that. I hope you've already got your journal. If not, get it on the way out. Sign up for a group. Don't wait. In, don't wait. Because the, the devil will tell you how busy you are and why you don't have time to do this. You've got to act now. You've got to act in faith that God has something to teach you and reveal to you and lead you through in these next six weeks. Because he does. I'm convicted of that. He does. And the only way it won't happen 
is if we don't act in faith. Trust him. And if you're, you're a guest today, we're gonna, some of us will be out over here. and We'd love to greet you, welcome you. Um, and if you, Gateway family, if you brought someone, bring them over there and introduce them to us because we want to let you know we're glad you're here and, and, and hope you'll join us in this journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your faith is sufficient for everything you lay before us, including the things that we don't see how. And Father, I know that sometimes you don't lead us through it the way we expect. And, and many times you don't lead us around it or take it out of our lives. You, you take us through it. And it is hard and it does hurt and it is painful and it is a struggle. But you grow us in that, Father. Sometimes that's the only way you'll grow us. The only way we, we'll sit still long enough to let you work in our lives. Whatever it takes, Father, grow us individuals grow us as a church lead us as a church to live boldly by faith so that we may do even greater things for your community for your world that you may use us that you may do miracles through us for the world around us we pray for that father we ask that you will use us for miracles over these next several weeks because we want to live by faith pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in faith. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.